Well, good morning. It's a pleasure to be here, a pleasure to see some familiar faces, and also a pleasure to see some not-so-familiar faces. It's great to, to see how this, uh, this community of believers is reaching out, and people are coming that um, maybe haven't come to, uh, even come to church before. So uh, we really are grateful for, for God's work in this community and, and seeing how God is working here at uh, Sherwood Oaks West Side. So if you would, would, wouldn't mind just um, bowing with me in prayer as we open this morning. Father, um, you know uh, how much, uh, how desperately we all need you, um, how uh, incredibly dependent we are upon you for um, all of the things in our lives. And um, Father, I just pray that the things that are shared today would be a blessing to your people and that you would minister to each one of us and send us out of here better equipped to serve and bless others. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I was speaking a little earlier to, to Jason and looking at the text sheet to see how much time we had, and I was so pleased to see that he gave, actually gave me an hour and 23 minutes to speak this morning. And <clears throat> then I realized that because of some of the medications I'm on, I'm a little foggy right now, and it actually was only 23 minutes. So I'm just praying God will um, <laughs> make good use of that 23 minutes here. Uh, I'm going to be sharing really more of a, a teaching, if you will, just uh, sharing kind of from my heart some things that, um, that I feel God has kind of shown and taught me over the years. Um, this, is a, this is, comes from a, a message that I shared with the, um, the men's discipleship revolution on the west side. Some, I see some of you guys here in the room that were there for that. So, um, but really, it's coming from a place of just seeing how God works in both the natural and the spiritual realm in terms of physical and spiritual healing. Uh, my work um, is, uh, I'm, I'm a physical therapist. I, I work with patients on a daily basis um, from very young to very old. And I have just seen over the years that nearly, um, well, coming up on three decades of doing this as a therapist, I've seen some patterns and some interesting things that I, that I feel from a, a spiritual and a scriptural standpoint I've been able to learn and incorporate into my practice as a physical therapist. So really, what I'm going to share with you today is uh, what I've discovered are kind of the 10 critical compo components for optimal healing and restoration of function. So I'll be, I'll be sort of paralleling this between the, the physical, the natural realm, and the spiritual realm. Now, there was a little insert in here uh, that has all of the scripture references on it. Um, please uh, just take that home and, and review that at some later point. There's some great, you know, uh, I was at a, a, a message one time or heard a message one time by a, a gentleman that preached, and he said, you know, one of the things that he felt was so successful about his preaching was not what he had to say, but rather what the Scriptures had to say, and it's really true. So um, if, if you get nothing else out of today, just realize that God's Word will speak to you directly in ways that are, very, that are very powerful and very special. So what are those critical elements for optimal healing and restoration of function? So imagine, if you will, I'm sitting in my uh, clinic and I bring a patient back and I'm going to do their initial evaluation. I go through sort of a series of questions that I'm, that I'm asking to try to get familiar with them, figure out what it is that's going on, to come up with really a, a, a diagnosis. They may already have a medical diagnosis, but I need to come up with a rehab diagnosis. Um, and I also need to establish a plan of care based on what that patient is presenting with. 
What are their impairments? What are their deficits? What are, what's their medical history? So the first thing that, that I find is that many times people have to have hope. They actually have to believe that they can get better. Without that component of hope and that element of, of faith, if you will, that hope that leads to faith, oftentimes people don't buy into the plan of care because they don't have the underlying faith, that foundation of faith, believing that they actually can get better. Um, if you look at the miracles of Jesus, the, the, the multitude of healings that he did, um, faith on the part of the recipient of the you know, miracles of healing was such a critical component. Think about how he, he would tell people, you know, your faith has made you whole. Remember the woman who had that issue of blood for so long, and she reached up and touched the hem of his garment. And what did he say? He said, I perceive that virtue has gone out of me. Her faith captivated and accessed the power of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. So our faith, how we approach God, how we believe his, his ability and His capability to meet our needs is so critical. Hebrews 11.6 tells us, And without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he who comes to God must first believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. So that's, a, that's foundational to being a recipient of, of the blessings and the wisdom and the grace of God, is actually believing there's a great story um, in the Bible. Jesus uh, was uh, near what they call the Sheep Gate, uh, uh, the, the pool of Bethesda. And it's, it, the Bible tells us that um, there had been a man that had been paralyzed. Uh, we don't know the extent of his paralysis, but he had been paralyzed. And it's, it actually tells us that he'd been paralyzed for 38 years. I find that really interesting, that that kind of detail and specifics were given. So he had 38 years to be in that. Now, we don't know. Maybe he was only 38 years old. Maybe he was born that way. Maybe he um, had some sort of an accident. Maybe he was a stonemason or a carpenter like Jesus and had fallen and broken something and became paralyzed. We don't know the details, but we know that he had been paralyzed for 38 years. And he had some element of hope and faith that if he could just get to the waters in time, because the idea was that that an angel would stir the waters, and whoever got into that water first would be healed. Well, he couldn't get to the water. And we know from the Scriptures, Jesus says, well, you know, why, what, what's going on? Why can't you do this? He said, well, no man, no man you know, uh, can get me there. I can't get there. By the time I try to get there, somebody's already gotten in the water. Jesus asked this paralytic of 38 years a really critical question. And I believe it's a question that he asks each one of us on a variety of levels. He asked the paralytic, he said, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? You see, sometimes there's an incentive or there's a comfort level with not being well. We become accustomed to not being well. We become accustomed to being sick or disabled or remaining in our broken state. I think that was a very profound question that Jesus asked. Do you want to be well? Now, I don't know what he thought. You know, well, well, of course I want to be well. Why wouldn't I be keeping myself close to this pool? But there was other activities going on. I'm sure that he earned a little bit of income through his, his begging, perhaps. Um, so there was, and there was probably a social network that he had established with his friends and other people that were looking for healing. Jesus asked him, do you want 
to be well? Very, very profound question. Jesus healed him. He rose up, got up, took, picked up his mat, and began to walk off. And do you know what one of the first things that he encountered after he was healed? He encountered the wrath of the Pharisees. You know why? Because he wasn't supposed to be carrying his mat on the Sabbath day. Really? Here was this incredible miracle that just had happened. 38 years paralyzed. Instead of rejoicing and, and being thankful and praising God for this incredible miracle and the presence of one who actually performed the miracle, Jesus, they were upset that he wasn't keeping the law um, and he was breaking the law by picking up his mat and supposedly doing work on the Sabbath day. You know, sometimes the path from brokenness to wholeness, from sickness to healing and restoration can be a difficult one. We can experience great breakthroughs in our life, and God will meet us at a point in our life where we're so desperately in need of Him. But sometimes the, the most difficult challenges are yet to come. So if God is doing something in your life right now, uh, rejoice in that, be thankful for that. But be aware that sometimes there's going to be battles and challenges you're going to face as you continue on that journey of healing and restoration. So when I see people come into the clinic, there's got to be that element and component of faith. If they don't have faith that there's something that together, as a collaborative team, that we can do to help get them better, very seldom they don't get better. Secondly, there needs to be a correct diagnosis and an honest appraisal of their current status. Um, sometimes I'll get scripts from the physician that just says, I I've even had one, one time that said pain. Pain. Okay, well... Where's the pain? Is it in the arm? Is it in the leg? Is it in the, is it in the back? Is it in the neck? Having a good, clear diagnosis and being able to come up with a good, clear diagnosis is critical to being able to establish an appropriate plan of care. And a part of that process, too, is having the, the patient disclose, if you will, their full medical history. Um, I've had patients before, for example, that it isn't until maybe the very end of the evaluation or even sometimes on the second or third visit that they tell me, oh, by the way, you know, I forgot to tell you, I was in an accident 10 years ago and I fractured my spine and I've got metal rods and I actually have to wear a pacemaker now. Okay, that's really good information to know. I'm glad I didn't do some of the things that would have been contraindicated or inappropriate to do knowing, you know, now, knowing what I know. So, you have to establish in that therapeutic relationship, you have to establish a certain level of trust and, and confidence so that a person is actually willing to share what their, what their issues are. There's a spiritual parallel there, there too. If, you, if you're in, in ministry and you're serving, and we all are in ministry, okay, whether you're speaking to somebody you know, on a platform or you're talking to somebody uh, on, uh, on your break at work, if you're a believer and you, you're a carrier of that good news, that gospel, you are a minister. You are a sharer of the gospel. But sometimes you have to make sure you're establishing that rapport and that relationship so that you can really help a person based on a full disclosure and an honest appraisal of, of where they are. Scripture in Hebrews 4.13, it says, No creature can hide from God. God sees all. Everyone and everything is exposed open for his inspection, and he's the one we will all have to explain ourselves to. So what a profound spiritual application there is 
when we approach our great physician in need, um, we need to be honest. And, you know, he knows everything anyways. There's nothing you can do or say or think that, that he doesn't see or know about. But that, that process of being open and honest about where you are and what you've got going on uh, really sets the stage for that, that healing process to occur. A third thing I like to find out from the patient is um, I really like to get a good, sort of clearly articulated uh, goal or set of goals that the patient is looking for. Um, you know, the, the real common ones are, well, I just I don't want to have any pain anymore, or I just want to feel better. And while those are certainly noble and worthy goals, if you're experiencing a tremendous amount of pain, obviously being free of pain uh, would be an important thing. But I have discovered a very interesting, a very interesting phenomenon when it comes to this part of my evaluation, when I'm asking people what their goal is. So oftentimes, those whose focus is only on the elimination of pain and just wanting to feel better don't do as well in therapy as those whose focus is on, I want to be able to function better. I want to be able to, I want to have less, yes, I want to have less pain, but I want to be able to pick up, you know, my grandchild. I want to be able to get back to work. You see the difference there? And it's a very distinct, in, in my world, it's a very distinctive difference. And I know that if somebody's on that track that all they're thinking about is elimination of pain and, and lack of suffering, and that's their sole focus, they're not really going to get better in the long run unless we can somehow redirect that focus to more of a functional I want to get better so I can do this. We all need that in our life, right? It'd be so easy to become self-absorbed and self-focused and just our own comfort and our own lack of, of pain becomes the goal. But that's not a healthy perspective. And we know from the scriptures in 1 John 5.14, uh, the Bible tells us this is the confidence which we have before him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So what I have learned is I, I really ask for patients to ask, to articulate what it is they want, and then we kind of flesh that out a little bit and try to figure out, okay, how do we get there? Well, it's the same thing on the spiritual plane. We need to ask. And, you know, no request is, is silly or stupid, okay? God knows what's in your heart already, but sometimes just articulating that request kind of helps you to discern, okay, First of all, is what I'm asking according to his will, because that's when he hears us. So often people have uh, been, been turned away from God because of their own unmet expectations. They think, well, I prayed for this thing and it didn't happen. So obviously God wasn't listening. Well, first of all, the prerequisite is praying according to his will. And sometimes, even when we pray according to his will, sometimes when he hears us, his answer is no, or not now, or there's a better time, or there's a better way. That's, that's hard to take, right? Because we want it, and we want it now. <laughs> it doesn't happen that way. The fourth thing that I try to vet out or discover in the process of working with patients is do they have a, a strong support system? You know, do they, have, do they have family members? Do they have a spouse or an a, a, a extended family? I even ask people about their faith community. Do you, have a, do you go to church? 
I ask people, do you have a faith community that you're involved in? Do you have people that surround you, that encourage you, that help to lift you up and build you up? Because sometimes you, if you have a, a community of believers or a, a strong family, um, that, can, that can be such a huge asset. And, and the opposite is true. You may, have, you may have a strong family, but they may not be an asset to you from the standpoint of your own physical healing and the things you need to change in the physical realm. And same thing is true in the spiritual realm. You may have forces around you, family and friends, uh, that aren't that strong support, but rather uh, push you towards another direction. Some of the impediments that we see uh, when we're working with patients, there's issues of substance abuse, physical abuse, a lack of shared goals with their family and friends. You know, again, that, that identity that people um, associate themselves with. Imagine this, the, the man, um, the, the paralytic for 38 years. Again, I mentioned the fact that he had, um, he'd, been, he'd been a part of a social network, if you think about it, people, other people that were looking for healing. And um, when he was healed and his life was changed, it changed all of those relationships. It changed the expectations that others had of him, changed the expectations that he had of others. Our identity, you know, our identity in Christ is so critical, and it's so critical that we, that we live out our life based on the foundation of our true identity as children of God, as believers. You know, there's a lot of wonderful things that um, in uh, healing and, and the recovery movement that goes on in terms of offering a support system um, but sometimes there can be some real negative things that come out of that as well. If, for example, if you're seeking to find your identity in association with other people that are having the same problems, and you start to identify yourself as an, I'm an alcoholic, or I'm a this, or I'm a that, versus I'm a child of God, I'm a Christ follower, I'm a believer, Yes, I struggle with this particular issue. I may struggle with this addiction, or I'm struggling with this sin. But your sin does not define who you are. Your identity in Christ defines who you are. So surround yourself and seek to be around those people that will reaffirm and confirm your identity as a child of God, because out of that comes the ability for true spiritual healing. I'm involved in a pretty interesting program um, over at the Rebound West Clinic over on Tap Road in 37. <clears throat> it's called Rocksteady Boxing. Uh, some of you may have heard of it. It's basically a program that has been designed to help people that have Parkinson's disease, in essence, kind of fight back against those symptoms associated with Parkinson's. So we, um, we actually have people that come our classes are uh, two times a week. They're there for about 90 minutes, and they're putting on boxing gloves, and they're doing intense exercise. It's based on the principles of forced intensive exercise, and we have age ranges anywhere from their mid-40s all the way up to the mid to late 80s, um, putting on boxing gloves, hitting heavy bags and speed bags and focus mitts and double-ended bags. And the research that's, that's coming out of this, the program started up in Indianapolis back in 2006, but, but the research that's come out of this is showing some incredibly positive results because that intensive forced exercise and just the camaraderie of being around other people that, yes, are 
suffering from the similar, the same, you know, disease, if you will, uh, a degenerative neurological disease that we call Parkinson's disease. <clears throat> but what, what we have in that group of people is, is really what I consider the best possible support group without all of the, some of the, the negative side effects of that. Because they're there what? They're there to fight back. Every time they come to class, they put on their gloves and they're fighting and they're working hard and they're increasing their heart rate and they're exercising and they're sweating, okay? So they, are, they aren't focusing on their identity as a victim of this Parkinson's disease, even though they do have Parkinson's disease. They're focusing on their identity as a fighter. That's, that's the new identity that they have adopted. So they're fighting back. And it's just a beautiful thing to see. We've seen incredible results. If anybody ever wants to come watch one of our classes or you know somebody that has Parkinson's, uh, please feel free to do that. We meet Mondays and Wednesdays um, from anywhere from 11 to 2. You'll see classes going on. That's at the Rebound West Clinic on Tap Road and 37. If you want to ask me more about that afterwards, I'll be hanging around for a few minutes afterwards. Please feel free to come up. But again, a great example of people that are dealing with and suffering from a debilitating disease, but that have decided that they're going to fight back. They're not going to become uh, identified as a victim of the disease. Sometimes there are external barriers that I have to sort of work through, environmental obstacles, if you will, that when I'm dealing with a patient, uh, we have to kind of get to the bottom of. They may have imposed work restrictions that they're operating under. They may, have a, they may have neck problems and they've got a very poorly designed workstation, for example. So we need to talk about how they, how they can change that environment. They may have uh, poor exercise habits, poor nutritional habits. There's things that need to be worked on there. There may be some issues of codependency going on in their life. Um, there are, again, cultural and societal expectations that uh, patients have placed on them or they have placed on themselves and they have assumed the identity of a, a, a victim or they've assumed the identity of a particular disability rather than the person that they really are that happens to be dealing with a disability. There's a, there's a great story that I heard once. It was a story of a, uh, an old Indian chief that um, a missionary had been, this is in the early days of our country, a missionary had been riding through sort of a circuit preacher He'd been riding through and he'd shared the gospel with this village and the Indian chief accepted Christ and began his journey. Um, the, the preacher left him and about a year later came back and asked him, how are things going? Tell me how things are going in your walk. He said, well, you know, some days are pretty good and some days are pretty bad. He says, I feel sometimes like I've got two dogs living inside of me. And the preacher said, what do you mean, with two dogs living inside? He says, it's like, it's like there's, a, there's a white dog and there's a black dog, and sometimes they're just fighting with one another. And You know, the white dog in me desires to do the right thing, and, and I, I, I so want to please God, and I want to live out his life. And then the black dog is just tempting. It's always a sense of temptation and struggle and doubt. And, and the preacher asked him, well, which dog is winning the fight? He said, well, it really depends on which dog I'm feeding. And the preacher thought, what a, great, what a great analogy. What a great concept. These two dogs, sometimes that's how we feel. We've got this internal battle going on. Well, you need to ask yourself, which dog are you feeding? The dog that you're feeding is the dog that's going to 
gain the upper hand. We, we walk through this life uh, with, with brokenness, with heartache, with struggle. Um, and some of that will never, in this earthly life, will never be resolved until we either die and go to heaven or the Lord returns and we return with him to heaven. So feed the white dog. I also look at how do I measure specific impairments when I'm working with a patient. What is their range of motion like? What is their strength like? What is their, um, what is their sensation? What is their flexibility? What is their coordination? Because all of those, if those are impaired, can have an impact on how they function. So from a spiritual standpoint, what are some of the impairments that, that perhaps we have? Sometimes we don't even realize the impairments that we have. Prayer, are there impairments in our prayer? Are there impairments in our ability to confess um, of sin and repent? Are there impairments in our ability to both offer and receive forgiveness? Are there impairments perhaps in our, um, our proper stewardship of the resources that he's you know, committed to us? So again, looking at those impairments, when I measure impairments, I measure impairments for the purpose of getting some baseline. Okay, here's where you are. I tell people, this isn't, these tests are not pass-fail. This is just measuring where you are so that as you get better, remember, by this time, hopefully, in that evaluative process, they've already bought into the fact that they are going to get better. All of this, this physical healing and the spiritual healing, healing is built on the foundation of faith and belief that, yes, I can get better. I can become well. We all have blind spots, right? Things that we don't see about ourselves that perhaps are pretty obvious to others. We need the reflection of Christ through His Word and in the presence of His children, the body, the church. We can't, we can't do this Christian life alone. There's just no way to do it alone. We need each other. We need each other. Psalms 19, 12, and 13 says, Who could possibly know all that He has done wrong? Forgive my hidden and unknown faults. As I am your servant, protect me from my bent toward pride and keep sin from ruling my life. If you do this, I will be without blame, innocent of the great breach. Once I've measured physical impairments in this evaluative process, then I move on to looking at functional deficits. What's the difference between that, physical impairments? Well, if my, if my strength, for example, or my range of motion let's say my range of motion in my shoulder is impaired, then I'm not going to have the functional ability to reach and grasp something out of the top cabinet. Okay, so that's the difference between, in a very simplistic standpoint, impairments versus functional deficits. So function, the ability to transfer, the ability to walk, the ability to maintain good posture, the ability to balance, just to maintain your balance. Okay, now let's flip to the spiritual side. What about spiritual balance? In the physical realm, our, our ability to maintain our balance is based on three very specific systems. I'll just tell you briefly what those are, and then I'll have you do a little exercise here. First of all, you've got your visual system. Without your visual system, your balance is, is going to be challenged. Okay? You've got your vestibular system. Your vestibular system is this very complex network of uh, structures and, and um, organs within the inner ear. And those structures and functions, those structures serve to 
help give us a sense of our head position, how fast we're moving when we're accelerating, when we're decelerating. Um, if you're going up in an elevator, you've all had that sensation where the elevator continues to rise, and as it, as it decelerates, sometimes you feel like you're still moving and the elevator is slowing down. That's all happening as a function of what's going on in that inner ear, that vestibular system. And then there's what we call the somatosensory system, which is really your muscles and your sensation. If any one of those systems is compromised, then your ability to maintain good balance is going to be compromised. If you would like to, I'm going to ask those of you that feel comfortable doing this, go ahead and stand up. And you can just put your hands on the front of your chair there. <clears throat> now just kind of lightly touching, go ahead and pick up one foot. Choose a foot. Now if you think you're going to fall doing this, then disclaimer, don't do it. Okay. Pick up one foot. Okay. Now, maintain your balance. Now close your eyes. All right. Now go ahead and open your eyes. Now, I could see and you could feel, right? When those eyes went dark, that, that ability to maintain balance became much more challenging. Okay. Imagine, if you would, you were standing on um, uh, something that was very soft, and you're welcome to sit down if you'd like. If you were standing on a, a pillow or a piece of foam or somehow the sensation that was coming through your feet uh, was not functioning right. That's that somatosensory system, the muscular system and the sensory system. Um, that would also have an impact on your balance. People that have, for example, uh, neuropathy in their feet from a diabetic neuropathy or other forms of neuropathy don't function as well from a balance standpoint. So here we go in, this, in the physical realm, just the ability to maintain good balance is controlled by such a complex uh, series of, of networks. You know, in Psalms 139, the, the Bible tells us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. That's, that's one thing that, as I've studied anatomy and physiology and just how God has created our bodies to function, it's, it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. The next thing that I make sure we need to do is to establish measurable goals, and I'm going to try to wrap up here because I think I might be at 24 minutes, actually. Um, so we establish goals. When I'm working with a patient, say, okay, we've already, we've already measured their baseline, and let's say one of their goals is they want to be able to, or they need to be able to get up and down out of a chair, and they need to be able to do it a little bit quicker than they have been. So we'll establish goals. Anytime you're establishing goals in your life, you know, we're, we're approaching a time right now as we embark upon the, the new year. Um, you know, a, a lot of people do these New Year's resolutions, and I think that's great. Uh, I, I like to think of them as maybe New Year's goals, and I would just encourage you to perhaps establish some specific goals for 2016. But remember, your goals need to be time-bound, okay? You, they must be based on some specific areas that you've identified you need to improve upon. Um, you need to remeasure them. You need to revisit those goals. And they must have some relevance to this Christian life, to this functional Christian life. So you can have set goals, physical goals. You can set financial goals, career goals, educational goals, any number of goals. But I encourage you to do that and write them down. Maybe even share them with somebody else that you can have as an accountability partner with. 
because establishing clearly defined goals can help you move in a systematic way towards reaching those goals, both in the natural realm, the physical realm, and the spiritual realm. Psalms 90, um, 10 through 12, it says, As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years, or if due to strength, 80 years, yet their pride is but labor and sorrow. For soon it is gone, and we fly away. We sang, I'll fly away. That's where that comes from, that song, I'll fly away comes from this verse of Scripture. I uh, <clears throat> did an interesting thing once um, as, as we get further into this Scripture that says, it says, so teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. That's, the, that's verse 12. Teach us to number our days. Well, and I'm just going to do this very quickly, but this is something you can take home with you and calculate it out. If you think about your, your life as representing one day, Scriptures say, teach us to number our days. So think about your life as one day, as, as a 24-hour day. And let's just assume that most people get about eight hours of sleep. So think of your day as having 16 waking hours. And if by reason of strength, it says perhaps 80 years. So let's assume a life expectancy of 80 years. You get into what we call the rule of fives. Every five years represents one hour in your day. Okay, so get up, let's say you get up at 6 o'clock in the morning and you go to bed at 10 o'clock at night. There's your 16 hours. Based on your age, what time of day is it for you? I'm approaching the, uh, not quite there yet, but soon be in, the, in, in my 60th year. You know what time of day that is for me? That's 6 p.m., sorry. <laughs> 6 p.m. It's, it's evening time already for me, okay? Rule of five. Take your age, divide it by five. You'll see what time the day is for you. If you begin to think of your life as a single day, because you only have one, right? We all only have one. That will help us to redeem the time and become more aware of how critical it is and really how short life is and also make us realize that there may be things we've been putting off. There may be relationships that have been fractured that need restoration. There may be things that you need to make right in your life and, and perhaps uh, forgive others for. There's no time like the present. We educate the patients. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy to study to show ourselves approved unto God a workman that doesn't need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the truth, the word of truth. And then lastly, there's a commissioning, if you will. When I'm working with patients, on day one, I'm thinking about discharge. I'm thinking about, okay, eventually, when this, when this episode of care is over, it might be four weeks, it might be six weeks, they're out of here. I don't want them to become dependent upon therapy. I want them to become more functional. So there's a commissioning that occur, and if you think about the Great Commission in Matthew 28, and again, the Scripture reference is there for you, we become recipients of His blessings and His grace and His miracles and His mercy so that we can then share that with others. So we are commissioned as believers to share the gospel, to go tell the world. Trust God. Believe that he desires to lead you. Be honest. 
before God and his people, establish godly plans and goals for your life, feed the white dog, confess your faults, seek and offer forgiveness, find your true identity in Christ as a child of God, pray, study, discipline yourself in those spiritual exercises, share the good news. This is, after all, the Great Commission. Thank you.